Good morning. I think it's probably pretty safe to say that for all of us, change is something that we seek. I think we all have those things about us that we wish would be different. And when we think about um, having a relationship with God and what could happen, I think we probably could all think about areas in our life that we would like to change. Biblically, it indicates that change is possible. And not just surface change, not just skin deep, short-lived change, but heart deep, long-lived change. It's really possible. And that change is referred to as transformation. We talk about transformation. Think of a caterpillar. What happens to it? And let's think about changing a caterpillar. So let's think about trying to change a caterpillar into something that looks like a butterfly. So what we'll do, we'll take this caterpillar and, and we'll take some string and draw the string across the middle of it so it kind of looks like the difference between a thorax and the main body, and we could do that. And then we could take some antenna and, and kind of stick it into the caterpillar's head. And then we could tape wings on the caterpillar's back and we'd create something that probably kind of looks like a butterfly. But the deal is if you launch that thing, it's not going to go very far. That we, what we've done is we've just changed the way it looks. That's all we've done. We've just changed the appearance. What happens to a caterpillar, though, it goes through a process where it goes into a cocoon and it's transformed. It changes and then when it comes out of the cocoon it's a butterfly and it's possible to experience that kind of transformation that's not just changing the outside but changing the inside not just putting cosmetic changes on the outside but changing from the inside out beginning with beliefs and attitudes and moving out to behaviors. Now, if it's going to be external change, there's all kinds of places that you can be changed externally. But if it's going to be internal, if it's going to be transformation, then it's got to be not only God's glory, and we're going to talk about what that is, but it's got to be the right kind of glory. There are two kinds of glory. Um, one from Mount Sinai and one from Mount Calvary, and one changes us externally and makes us look different, the other one changes us internally. Look what it says. We'll work our way through this section in Paul's letter to the Corinthians as he talks about glory and change. Here's what Paul writes. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For... If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, 
the ministry of righteousness must far succeed it in glory. So here's a principle. See if I can find this. Is this going to up? Let's see if I get this. Having a little bit of trouble. That's okay. There's a principle. There it is. Thank you. Divine glory transforms those on whom it shines. And we think of when we think of divine glory, we've got to understand what that means. Glory is the expression, the expression of God's will for individuals. Um, it emanates from God. When we think of glory, it's not just kind of what's true about God kind of going out into the atmosphere. We've talked about glory. Glory is very directional. And what glory means when God looks at you and transmits a message to you, that's glory. It's very relational. And it expresses the divine ground rules by which he operates. And so that's what glory is. And what it indicates, I think glory transforms those upon whom it shines. I'm not saying that they should be transformed by it. We are. Depending on what glory we see coming from God and our ability to look at it, when we, and, and as much as we behold and look at God's glory and what he says to us, we are changed by it. There's two expressions of divine glory. There's old covenant glory and new covenant glory. It indicates that old covenant glory kills. That's what it says. Look what it says in verse 6. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Go to the next slide. I'm going to have you guys do that. The one with the mountain, Mount Sinai. Keep going. Great. Moses, Paul in here describes the old covenant as carved in letters on stone, and it reminds us what happened at Mount Sinai. Moses came down from the mountain with the tablets of the commandments in his hand, and what those reflected, they had the the commandments written on them. And God's glory, what he was reflecting towards them, if you keep the commandments, you'll live. And if you don't keep the commandments, you'll be cursed. And those tablets, they represented the covenant that God was making with the Israelites. And what they did with those tablets, they ended up being placed in the Ark of the Covenant. You know, that box that, that they carried through the wilderness and they put it in the middle in this very holy place. And in that box, they put the manna and they put Aaron's rod and then they put the, the articles of the old covenant. Um, and you would imagine that that would have a profound impact, and it did. We're going to read through an article. Look at in your worship folder. There's two articles. I'm not going to read both of them. I'm going to read one. I'm going to encourage you to take them and read them, and I'll tell you why a little bit later. Look at the one which says, why did God's influence fade? Why did God's influence fade? I'm just going to read through that. Read along with me or look at it as I read it out loud. 
Um, here's what it says. God clearly communicated his will to the Israelites from Mount Sinai. Truth be told, his influence didn't seem to work too well. Within a month and a half, his children were breaking the first commandment by making the golden calf. When God showed up on Mount Sinai, he said, if you keep the commandments, you'll be blessed. If you disobey them, they'll be cursed. And about a month and a half later, they made the golden calf. So the nature of the influence didn't work too deeply, and it didn't last too long. Why is that? What happened? Why did God's influence fade? And it has the, the text. Let's read it again. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? God's glory changes us. When we think of glory, we tend to think of God exuding divine light into the surrounding atmosphere, something like the way a light sends rays out into the surrounding darkness. Glory, however, is relational. In this respect, glory is more like a flashlight than a lamp. It is directional. It seeks out and shines upon those God desires to be in relationship with. As we focus on God's thoughts towards us, he changes us. By the way, that is true. As we think about God's thoughts toward us, that reflection and thinking, it does change us. You say, I'm not, I'm not sure. It does. We were created in such a way that when we are exposed and thinking about God's thoughts towards us, that reflection changes us. That's what we find. It's, um, it was on, um, glory is esteem. It is the regard that enfolds one who is loved. Imagine a child returning home from a long time away. Family and friends are gathered for a welcome home party. When the child arrives, the faces of those waiting light up with love and joy. This is what God's glory is like on this side of the cross. As we behold his glory, God changes us. As we focus upon his thoughts towards us, rather than our thoughts towards him, transformation occurs. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Glory is an expression of the relational guidelines God operates by. God's old covenant relational guidelines differ greatly from his new covenant guidelines. The character and impact of glory undergoes a dramatic transformation within the pages of the Bible. Glory that was fading away becomes glory which lasts. The key to spiritual growth is to differentiate between the former expression of God's glory and the current expression. Failure to understand this difference is the cause of most, if not all, 
of our spiritual problems. In the New Testament, glory is the translation of a Greek word, meaning opinion. The new covenant inaugurated by Jesus on Mount Calvary is described as the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry that brings righteousness. Through Jesus' words and deeds, the intensity of light of God's love fully and finally shines. The character of God's regard is more valuation than evaluation. In the Old Testament, glory is the translation of a Hebrew word meaning heavy. So it's saying there's it's the same word. We read it in our Old Testament. We read it in the New Testament. Glory. It's the same word. However, the Hebrew word and the Greek word are very different. The New Testament word for glory is doxa. Doxa means opinion. And again, as the article states, if I haven't seen you for a while and you come in and we have a relationship, my face might light up. That's because, and that reflection will reflect the opinion that I have of you. The fact that you matter to me will cause my face to light up. That's the nature of the word glory in the New Testament. The word glory in the Old Testament is a very different word. It's translated into the same word, but the image is very different. It means heavy or weighty, something substantive that doesn't change and doesn't bend. It describes a very powerful king. There's different words then. It means heavy, and again, continue to read through the article, God appears distant and unapproachable in the first half of the Bible. Would you agree with me? Again, it might sound a little bit creepy to say, but when you read some of the accounts of what happens in the Old Testament, are some of them a little bit frightening? People get wiped out. Some pretty severe things happen. Some pretty harsh things happen. And um, the covenant that is inaugurated from Mount Sinai is described as, and Paul describes it as the ministry that brought death and the ministry that condemns men. It is heavy and burdensome. And again, we've talked about this, but it's, it's what Paul says here is pretty controversial. And he looks at what happened from Mount Sinai And what he calls it, he calls, well, those are the words he uses, the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. The Israelites' experience, it goes on, with God on Mount Sinai frightened them. Moses himself trembled with fear. You'd think that such an experience would galvanize obedience. Wouldn't you imagine that, that an experience of they were afraid and nervous and frightened about what would happen if they disobeyed. And you'd imagine that fear of punishment would be the type of motivation that would last a long time. The deal is it didn't. It lasted, again, about 40 days. 40 days later, they were making the golden calf, even though God said, don't do it. Let's read on. It says, the shocking truth is that before Moses could even return With the stone tablets in his hand, the Israelites had already gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us make gods who will go before us. 
He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When we're looking for leverage to generate obedience, fear seems a logical choice. Would you agree? The evidence from Mount Sinai proves otherwise. If fear could generate obedience, the golden calf would not have been fashioned. Would you, like, yeah. Why did God's influence fade? Being afraid of God cannot foster lasting obedience. And that's what Paul describes. Next slide, John. says in verse 10, indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. If we were to take a 40-watt bulb and put it in this room, and if it was nighttime and pitch black, turn the lights off and put a 40-watt bulb in the middle of the room, that 40-watt bulb would light things up. But let's now take that 40-watt bulb and let's take some of those high-intensity lights, flashlights, big beams, and let's shine them in this room. What would happen is it wouldn't look light at all. The 40-watt bulb would be overcome by the greater light of all these other lights. That's the... That's kind of the, the image of what happened on between Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. There's glory on Mount Sinai. There is. It reflects things about God. What's not reflected from, from Mount Sinai, though, is, is the light of God's face. In order to understand the way God feels about us, we had to see it in Jesus. Jesus then reflects and reveals the light of God's face with respect to Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary. It's a little bit like a 40-watt bulb, which reflects some degree of light, and compare it to an overwhelming beacon of light. And that's what we find with the New Covenant versus the Old Paul called the Old Covenant the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. And there really was a reason. Anybody who approached the mountain, um, when you saw that mountain, that anybody who approached it was put to death. And most of the transgressions, if you, if you did something, it, death was the penalty. Old Covenant glory was brought to an end, Paul said. It was to be canceled. Here's what it says. By calling... This covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. We talk about this all the time. But it seems important to me. The new covenant replaced the old. They can't both exist at the same time. Does God still operate by the type of ground rules that were communicated from Mount Sinai? Does he still bless those who obey the commandments and curse those who don't? And the answer is, he can't. Because the old covenant and the new, they don't both exist at the same time. The new has kind of overridden the old. You say, Mike, so what? So what? The deal is this. 
the glory that you imagine God is reflecting towards you is going to change you. I'm not saying that it might. I'm saying that it will. That's just the way we are. If we imagine that God is looking, if you imagine God is looking at you and saying, if you obey those commandments, I'll bless you. And if you disobey them, I'll curse you. That is going to change you. And the change, it might get you to do something different. But the problem is the change doesn't last. Fear does not generate long-term change. It's like changing the outside of a caterpillar and turning it into a butterfly. Is that change? Yeah. Is it transformation? No. No. In order to be transformed, we've got to understand what he is saying to us. And he's not speaking, now. are the commandments true? Yeah. You know what the commandments are? He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to me. You cannot be frightened into loving people. You can't be. It's not possible to frighten somebody into loving people. You know what? Do you know what we need to be exposed to if we're going to love people? Love. Sorry. Love begets love. Is there love reflected from Mount Sinai? There's to a degree. The kind of love that can change? No, not deeply. Not deeply. That's what we got to figure out. What is God saying to you? As you look at that and make room for it in your mind, that understanding is going to change you. Um, that's what Paul seems to be saying. And they, both of these things don't exist at the, alongside one another again. It's true that old covenant glory does promote change. I think all of us could think about being afraid. What if God found out and what if I did this? And, and we can change our behaviors. We can stop doing things and start doing things. See, the problem with that is when God looks at us, he doesn't judge us by what people judge us by. When we're judged by people, they most often are looking at our behaviors, the things that can be seen. When God judges us, he doesn't look at the outside. He looks at thoughts and attitudes. That's what he's thinking about. Remember the story? We talk about it. There's a parable of these servants. And um, there are people in the community that really don't like the master of the house. They really don't like him. And in this house, there were three different servants. And apparently two of the servants didn't listen very much to what the community people said. One did. So anyway, the owner of the house, who was hated by the people, he ended up going on a trip. And he, before he went on a trip, he gave each of the three servants different amounts of talent to invest. And so he gave one ten, one five, and one one. For some reason, anyways. He goes away, comes back. The guy that had a bunch of talents, uh, he... The master kind of brought him and said, okay, yeah, how'd you do? And he doubled it. 
And the master said, well, well done. Um, he talked to the one that had a medium amount of talents. I think it was five, five or two. And then he had doubled it as well. And, and he said, well done. It's... And then he talked to the guy with one. Remember that? Remember that? And he, what he had done, he had taken the talent and buried it. And there's three things that when the master says, what'd you do? This is what he said. I knew you were a hard man, reaping what you don't sow and taking out what you don't put in. I know you're a tough guy. So I buried the talent. I, no, I'm sorry. I missed something. I knew you were a hard man and I was afraid of you. So I buried the talent. So with respect to those things, one of those things is a thought, one of those things is an attitude, and one of those things is an action. What's the action? He buried the thing in the ground. What's the attitude? He was afraid. What's the thought? You are a hard man. Taking out what you don't put in and reaping what you don't sow. What do you imagine the master representing God, what do you imagine he called the guy on? When he called him out, he said, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have buried that thing in the ground. That was wrong. Did he say, you shouldn't have been afraid of me? Is that what he said? Or did he say, I'm a hard man, am I? Reaping what I don't sow, taking out where I don't put in. What do you imagine the master called him on? The action? The attitude? The thought. It's exactly what he did. I'm a hard man. I'm, I'm a shyster. Really? We have these thoughts in our mind about what God is like. And those thoughts affect our attitudes. And our attitudes dictate our actions. And when God looks at it, he doesn't look at the action because he understands the action comes from the attitude and the attitude comes from the thought. So that's why We've really got to know what God is thinking about us because that thought will affect our attitude and that attitude will affect our action. Does that make sense? Old covenant glory can change us, but the change is skin deep and short-lived. New covenant glory changes us and the change is heart deep and long-lived. It won't crumble under pressure. So here's the deal. With respect to change, there really are two questions. Not is the change real? But will the change last? That's the deal. Transformation is change that lasts because it's not just directed at actions. It's directed at attitudes. And past that, it's directed at thoughts. When your thoughts about God change, your attitudes change. When your attitude changes, your actions change. You know what I think we should do then? Does this make sense? Let's think right thoughts about God. What do you think? Does that make sense? Let's talk about what God thinks about us. Let's not focus on actions. Let's not focus on attitudes. Let's focus on thoughts because those are the things that are going to change us. That's what glory is. Glory is the way God thinks about us. That's what Paul says, and Paul was really clear about this. And that's why it says, look in verse 12, since we have such a hope, 
we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face, so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this, to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. What it says, Paul says, he is very bold. What Paul understood is that he didn't have to mince words or kind of pretend. He spoke with openness. And his issue is, it seems to be this. If you, to those who were believers, what Paul identifies is a believer is somebody who understands that Back, back, we back at that one, John, that one forward. Yeah, thank you. Have a tendency then to to get a little bit confused with what covenant, again, God is operating by. Um, he says... To the degree we are a little bit confused about which one's in place, that confusion is something that Jesus would have us remove. What ended ended with Moses? Moses would, when he came down from the mountain, he would, and we've talked about this, he he would meet with God up on the mountain, and when he was with God, his face got shiny because glory changed him. He looked at God, and God's glory changed him. Moses didn't go up on the mountain, say, okay, God, we're talking, but you know, I've got to look pretty impressive when I come back down, so maybe I'll try to make my face look shiny. You know, maybe I'll slap my face around, or maybe if I hold my breath. He didn't even know it. What happened, he came down from the mountain, and his face was changed. What happened is people, I guess, looked at it and said, holy smokes. And so this is what Moses would do. He would go up on the mountain and take, he would kind of talk to God face to face, come down, and he would do this. He put a veil over his face. Now his face was shiny. But you know what the veil did? If the light of my face is dimming, you ever do those things? You remember those things that glow in the dark? You know, you, you put them near a light, and, and then you turn the light off, and they glow. And what happens to the glow? The glow starts to dissipate. You can kind of see it. That's what happened with the glory in Moses' face. But what Moses would do, and, and he would do this. Now, what does this, now the glory on my face is fading. Can you see it fading? No. And you know what ended up happening the glory was fading, and the reason the glory was fading, it was an object lesson. What God was telling them is that old covenant glory wasn't meant to last. But when the veil was in place, the impression was that glory must be staying the same. And that's why when Paul talks, he spoke in an unveiled way. And what he spoke about was this that the old covenant is no longer in operation. 
And the new covenant is. That's what it means when Paul speaks boldly and clearly. He didn't mince words because what Paul understood is that if it's going to be transformation, the new covenant has to do it. Um, This is Paul's point. With the new covenant, the Lord removes the veil draped over our hearts so that we might see that the old covenant has given way to the new. Again, this is, you've heard this before, and we've talked about it before, and we'll talk about it again. It seems critical. Um, Look what it says in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree to another, For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, To look, to gaze is to look intently at. A couple suggestions. Number one, there's a couple of articles. One talks about why did the influence fade, and how does the Spirit of God change our life? We haven't read, we read one of them, not the other. You know what I would encourage you to do? I included them. I would encourage that you read them this week. Because what you'll do when you read them, it will help to clarify in your mind what God is thinking about you. And as that becomes clearer, your thoughts about God will change a little bit. And that change will affect your attitudes, and those attitudes will affect your action. Uh, You'll be transformed. Just so you know, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. It says we are changed from glory to glory. We perceive his character, his promises a little bit more clearly. And that changes us a little bit. And we see it a little bit clearly. And that changes it. It's not going to happen in a week. And it's not happening in a year. The way we think does not change quickly. But as your thoughts about God change, I'm going to tell you, it will change you. And the change that it will usher in will not be skin deep. It will be deep. It will be the kind of change that can stand up to pressure, not the kind that crumbles under pressure. And that's the type of change God is looking for. Um, So what am I saying? Get your gaze and your glance right. And we tend to do, we tend to gaze at our behavior and glance at God's promises and commitments. Would you agree with me relative to what we're told to do here? to gaze at ourselves and to glance at God just to determine how mad he is at us? Would you agree with me that 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 would indicate having our gaze and our glance turned upside down? You know where we're supposed to gaze? At him and his promises and glance at ourselves. You're not going to be transformed by gazing at yourself. It's not the way it works. We'll be, we're transformed as we gaze at his glory, right? Not our glory, his glory. So um, get your gaze and your glance right. Glance at the new covenant. Glance at, gaze, I'm sorry. Gaze at the new covenant. And glance at the old. Gaze at God's promises to you. Don't gaze at your promises to God. Okay? Gaze at God's promises to you. Don't gaze at your promises to God. When you mess up, and we've talked about this, and it's just a little quick four-step thing, but it will help you think correctly. When you mess up, when you do something wrong, 
when you treat somebody in an unloving, unkind way, or you act in an immoral way, or you do something that you know that God is not pleased with, here's what I'm, you know, we've talked about this before, but here's what I'd encourage you to do. I practice this. I want you to think about the new covenant. It, you, it, it can be communicated in four statements. Do you know the statements? God's in you still. So here's how I'll say them. God's still in you, and God's still with you, and good's still ahead of you, guaranteed. What God says, he's going to put his law in your mind and write it on your heart. What that means, he's still in you. Even when you didn't did that thing, what he would have you think about is... I'm still in you, and he's still with you. He said that he's going to be our God, and we're going to be his children. And he's going to be merciful to our unrighteousnesses and remember our, remember our sins no more. It really does say this. God is not thinking about your sins. You know what he wants you to think about? His promises. And so here's what I'm going to recommend. When you do something wrong... And it becomes obvious, geez, I shouldn't have done that. You know what I want you to do? I want you to think about these things. God's still in me. God's still in me. He hasn't left me because I did that thing wrong. God's still in me. God's still with me. Good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. You can remember those, can't you? When you do something wrong, I want you to think about it. God, you know what? I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't said what I said. I wish I hadn't done what I did. I wish I didn't take what I, I, I wish I hadn't done it. But, but, thank you that, what's the first one? You're, you're still in me. What's the first one? God's still in you. You're still in me. So if you're talking to him, this is the way I say it. God, thank you that you're still in me. And you're still, and good still, guaranteed. One more time. And when you do it, I'm going to encourage you to do this every time. And you know what it's going to do? It's going to change the way you think about them. God, thank you that you're, and you're, and good's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Brett, come on, listen to your closing song. I'm going to close in prayer and um, pray for the meal so it won't curse us. Let <laughs> me pray for us. Hope you can stay. Father, thank you for all your purposes and your promises. Your word is like food. And you tell us that as we meditate on it, it's, it's, it becomes sweet in us. It, it goes down into us. It changes the way we think about you. And that changes the way we feel toward you and change the way we act. Would you continue gradually, slowly, piece by piece to transform us so that we can be more like Christ as we focus on the things that will transform and glory transforms. That's what you tell us. Anyways, thanks that we get to visit with one another. Thanks for the food and uh, and for the hands that prepared it and for the chance to be able to enjoy it together in Jesus' name. Amen.